Hey, how are you doing? Welcome to another one. This is a little bit different. Season 7 has finished. Season 8 is yet to begin. But I've realised we have a live episode that can tide you over. As ever, this episode, though, of Being Freelance is supported by Free Agent, the lovely people there. Thank you. The online accounting software that puts you in control of your freelancer finances. If you want to claim your one-month free trial, why wouldn't you? Visit freeagent.com slash being freelance. But yes, this episode was when I went up to Manchester back in March and recorded a live version of the podcast. We had two guests, we had a lovely audience. Anyway, you're about to hear that. Um, I wasn't quite sure whether I would put this out as a podcast because we had real audio issues. Like it was okay in the room, but like actually being able to record it uh, was was a bit of an issue. Anyway, I listened back to it and the fact is the answers were so good, I feel it would just be wrong for you not to have a chance to listen to it. So we've done what we can, the best that we can (laughs) with the audio. And I think if you stick with it, it's fine and you can enjoy the awesome answers that our guests give but of course if it winds you up then hey hit stop come join us when we're back to normal next week like i I put a lot of pride uh, and love into this podcast and making it sound great uh, but you know when you do things live some stuff is out of your control speaking of doing things live though We are going to do another live episode in June. If you can be in the UK, if you can be in London on Thursday, 20th of June, Ipsy, who actually uh, were the people who took us to Manchester for this event, Ipsy are holding their sort of freelancer conference. It's called National Freelancers Day. It's a really good event. There's details at beingfreelance.com in the events section. We are doing the podcast live and I'm also doing a talk about podcasting. So you can uh, can come and find that um other than that though yes enjoy this it would be great to see you as ever in the being freelance community there's a link at beingfreelance.com lots going on in there live q a's giving away biscuits to the freelancer of the week and the non-employee of the week awards loads of great chat and advice and support and laughs come and join us if you enjoy the podcast you'll enjoy hanging out with other people who enjoy the podcast uh, there's a link to the community at beingfreelance.com and if while the podcast is on on its break you are in need of a new podcast then i highly recommend if you're a freelancing parent to check out the doing it for the kids podcast i'm co-hosting it with frankie from doing it for the kids and we're having so much fun doing it go take a listen it's called the doing it for the kids podcast right let's crack on with this though so this is come at me eating too many easter eggs i shall now hand you over to past me back in march up in manchester for a live episode of the being freelance podcast it's probably what i'm about to say but anyway here i come hello welcome to a very uh, special being freelance live in manchester <laughs> we are in one of those very cool pour your own beer we works and i have a beautiful sea of people in front of me i also have kelly gilmore grassam hey kelly say hello hello hello. good evening so that's what kelly sounds like and for you guys that's what she looks like Uh, and then we have ian padgett as well hey ian ian is also known as the logo geek Uh, and if you basically what we're going to do is have a very short version of how you got started being freelance um, and let's start with you, Kelly, actually. Not that you have the microphone, but it's, I should explain, Ian and Kelly are passing the microphone between them like a baton. 
uh, which is nice. Um, so Kelly, you started out as a copywriter. Yes, yeah, so uh, I got into freelance copywriting when I was at university. I was on pretty much every student job website going. I was juggling two agent jobs. I was desperate to go traveling when I finished university. Um, and I started picking up freelance gigs, continued sort of shoestringing my way around South America with the odd uh, freelance gig that anyone would give me. And uh, when I got back in uh, 2014, went full time. And then the when I decided I was going to go full time and kind of make a career of it, at the time I was only 21, um, I was like, well, most people, well, a lot of people, not so much today, uh, were, that were freelance had gone through a career, then decided they hated the career and they wanted to work by themselves and not have to deal with people. I kind of was the other way around. I had not had any experience in a work environment, wanted to meet lots of people, wanted to grow something. Uh, and so for me, um, setting up a brand, and I think somebody touched on this earlier in the, in the keynote with Rob, like, I decided to set up an, an agency that I could create an identity from and that would give me kind of the longevity to build whatever I want it to be. Uh, and that's where Making You Contempt was born. Yeah. So, yeah, I remember on the podcast you saying, like, if I'm going to be doing this for the next 40 years, then <laughs> how am I going to make that happen? And just as we spoke, you had just made your first hire, right? Yeah, so that was, uh, yeah, that was July 2016 when we spoke. I, yeah, I just hired my first person sort of two years into the journey. Um, and this week we're celebrating our fifth birthday and we've just hired our eighth person. So... Uh, yeah, it's come a long way over the past three years. Amazing. Um, and Ian, we spoke in 2015. Yeah, so you were freelancing, but you were full-time creative director, wasn't that right? So at the time I was uh, basically a graphic, a graphic designer for a web agency. And um, throughout my entire career I've always just worked on fun side projects. Most of them I never got paid for, I just did them for fun. And um, Logo Geek basically came after um, I worked on a really long-term um, project working on an iPhone computer game. And uh, that was across about five years, four or five years. It was a big project and I felt really burnt out. So I thought, no more side projects. And I just got to a point where I wanted something else. And um, one of my friends at the time, they said, you're really good at logo design. And it was something um, I wanted to learn more about. And um, it was something that I didn't do very much of in the, in the job that I had. So um, yeah, I started Logo Geek. So I basically just created a website where I could post projects. And my plan at the time was not to go freelance. That was never my plan at all. It was just to practice working on logo design. Um, so I created a website um, and it started to grow, it started to get real clients unexpectedly and um, it's kind of grown from there really. My, I've, I've been focusing a lot on social media and um, I can't remember what it was at the time but... Ah, I can. So you started a Twitter account as Logo Geek, uh, but your Twitter tactic was to share content. Right, as in you weren't creating stuff and putting it out there, which is what a lot of us feel the pressure to do. You were curating. Things. Yeah, so I, I basically wanted to grow my Twitter following. And um, at the agency I worked at, I was working uh, for a short amount of time with someone that did social media marketing. And they had this really clever, clever Twitter growth pack. And it was basically finding similar accounts to yours and following 
the people that were following them and engaging with them. You can't do this anymore because Twitter's changed how it works. But every single day, every morning, I would follow a certain number of people and post content. So I was just pretty much just finding content that other people had created around logo design and sharing on Twitter. And within just a few months, it grew to like 10,000 and now it's at nearly 100,000. Yeah, when we spoke, it was 50 and now it's like 93K, isn't it? Yeah. So how has that changed now then? Because so, um, the topic of this uh, sort of event that we're at with Ipsy was like growth and everything. Yeah. So how has that changed in the past three years since we spoke? So the, the real benefit with having a larger Twitter following is the, uh, the, the advantages that kind of came with that. Like I started to be seen as an influencer around Lego design. So I would get invited to write blogs, I would, I would get invited to be on podcasts. And um, that allowed my website to rank on position one or page one or two for Lego design. So I started to get a lot of clients and I basically got to a point shortly after the podcast where um, I felt really stretched. I was doing, I had a full-time job which was quite demanding and also um, I started taking on side projects. And even when I didn't take on any side projects, the, the, the amount of emails, the amount of calls that was coming in, it was just overwhelming. So um, it was about two years ago, I decided, fuck it, I need to do this. <laughs> so I, I went to my work and I handed in my notice. Um, I actually made my mind up I'm gonna go full time. Um, but surprisingly, um, because I've been at that agency for 10 years now, they offered me part time. So I pretty much accepted that right away. So um, I worked for an agency three days a week and then the rest of the time I worked myself. So that's allowed me to take on my own projects and focus on growing um, Logo Geek, which is what I wanted to do. And um, I never planned to be full-time freelance. I, I might do it at some point because I'm feeling more comfortable with it. Like I, uh, the reason why I've never wanted to go full-time is because I just find it overwhelming, you know, that you have to be that you have to make enough money each month and there's no guaranteed income or anything like that. I find that quite scary. But um, since going part-time, um, I've obviously been increasing my prices. Um, I, I've got regular um, clients coming in. Like I'm normally booked, I've normally got projects booked in like two months in, in advance. And I also have a podcast which um, I get sponsored for. So I've got a sponsored podcast, and it's really cool because I basically get paid to talk to my heroes. Yeah. I am able to. I've, there was a lot of people that I admired growing up, and um, I just asked them, "Can I can I invite you on my podcast?" And I got paid to chat with them for an hour. It's amazing. So my podcast is is it's one thing that I'm really focusing on, and that's that's a good chunk of my income and. I'm working on a project pretty much every week and I've got this nice balanced lifestyle where it feels like Wednesdays are Fridays and the rest of the time. I, I never feel like I'm really working, I just do my own thing and somehow money comes in. It's nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. Kelly, so you just made your first hire. How did that feel by the way? Like going from being a freelancer to not, and like the crucial difference was you weren't hiring another freelancer. You weren't like saying, oh, I've got a bit too much work on, I'll get some other freelance help. You actually got 
an employee. Right. Yeah, and the night before um, he came on board, I remember curled up on the sofa crying, saying that I'd made the wrong decision, everything was going to go wrong, uh, and somehow it didn't, and he's still with us today, nearly three years on, so that's great. Um, but I actually went um, sort of similar route to Rob, but not in anywhere nervous that sort of scale and, and model, really. Uh, at first, when I got too much work, I started just, like, you know, bringing on other freelancers to support me, but the problem with that was that I was doing that to solve my own problem of not having enough time. So then at one point I was managing eight freelancers, but also doing my freelance work. And I was like, well, actually this is just more stressful and tiresome than if I just did the, just scaled it right back. Um, and then I got a cold call from somebody who'd seen my website and thought that we were a lot bigger than we obviously were asking to speak to the managing director, at which point I was like speaking from my bedroom <laughs> in my pyjamas. And, um, and anyway, when we eventually met up, I was like, well, look, it's just me. I've got some freelancers, but I've never thought about like hiring somebody. And he was actually so sort of bought into what I was doing and wanting to be on board that he actually took a part-time job in a cafe while working with me part-time. So I guaranteed him like 20 hours work and then anything else I said I'd pay him overtime. But that was kind of more for me to make that step. I thought like I feel like I can guarantee that much work and then and then he was luckily I just found someone that was passionate enough to you know take that leap with me. Uh, but within a couple of months we'd moved to a full-time contract. We then began bringing on freelancers and then one of the freelancers came on board as our second employee and it's sort of just grown from there, people that we met along the way and then I thought, this is really cool, I want to be part of this. Um, and we've never like had to go through a recruiter or anything, it's always been very organic. Um, and so I think if you build something that you're proud about and that you're passionate about, and for us particularly something that Rob mentioned earlier about having a specialism and especially when I set up there weren't many content agencies, there was lots of full service and freelancers but not like a content agency, then people notice that and they want to be involved in it, whether it's working with you as a client or like saying, okay, I want to be part of that team. And so who works for you now? Like, as in what are their job roles? Who do you have? So we have four full-time copywriters. We have two editors, again, full-time. We have um, a social media manager. She's freelance, but she's kind of, um, I don't know, 60 to 80 hours a month. And then there's myself, so... Which isn't so, in that case, where is that work coming from? Because it's all well and good, like, hiring people, but then you've got to kind of feed that machine. Do you feel that pressure to sort of... It's, yeah, there's pressure, yeah. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's hard, it has, to be, it has to be a hybrid model, because otherwise if you just pull the rug under one thing, like you stop networking or, I don't know, you stop updating your social media presence, whatever it might be, you know, you're very, you're putting all your eggs in one basket. Uh, what we found is, you know, we've we focused on uh, optimizing our website, so we get quite a lot of leads uh, through SEO. Uh, we get our social presence, we get a lot of referrals from existing clients, and then we also network and kind of having those multiple touch points. And obviously, being a content agency, if we can't get that right, then you know we shouldn't really be here. Um, so I think if you kind of focus on doing some like, you know, utilizing your networks, but also trying to bring in new people, get new people bought into the journey, you know, somebody that's in the room today, we were just saying we met like four, three, four years ago, and then it was only about sort of uh, 12 months ago that we actually did some work together. Um, so, you know, just because like you've kind of got to think about the low hanging fruit of what you can do to win business today, and then the stuff that you're going to do today that might pay off sort of six, 12, uh, two years down the line, whatever that might be, but it's getting that balance between the quick wins and the like longer term brand building and identity. 
And what does networking look like for you? Like where, where are you going? How often are you going? So I have like a weekly networking group that I go to. Um, that gives me a structure that I'm meeting the same people every week. They're really getting to know my business. They're becoming like my brand ambassadors, if you like. So, you know, I don't want to bring on a um, business development manager that's going to, you know, be sinking the money into that rather than people doing the work. But if I, if I network with people that I'm meeting every week or nearly every week, they're going to go and become ambassadors for the business and almost like sales reps for us. But then also doing the ad hoc stuff, speaking at an event like this tonight, no, uh, but doing like um, your ad hoc events and then having some structure to it as well so you can go, you know what, I go to this every week and actually I can measure that because I got these referrals from this person and it's having a bit of structure in place so you're not just going out, getting pissed, getting to business cards, waking up, trying to work out whose business card who, sending some emails and hoping that something comes of it, which is what I did at the start and uh, yeah, I think you do need to add some structure eventually. <laughs> So you are very kind of like, uh, I don't know, methodical, I guess, about following those up, are you? Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, we're, I'm five years down the line in that journey, so I think anyone sat in the room that's maybe, you know, just started out or, you know, maybe going six months a year, my first year was basically just sort of winging it and hoping for the best, and the second year was slightly refining that, and the third year was when we started to make some traction. Uh, but it does take a while to find out what works for you. Some people don't like networking, some people, you know, are really good at social, other people don't want to put themselves out there on social, so it's finding what you're comfortable with and doubling down on what works and cutting out what doesn't. Yeah. And how, because obviously you are a company, you trade as a company, then you, you are a company. But how important is your profile, your own profile, your own brand within that, do you think? Yeah, I think, it, I think you've got to get a mixture. And I certainly, for like the first year or two, was like people just knew me as Kelly Copywriter. That's what I was saved in everyone's phone as. So, like, and I still have a lot of people that just go, oh, Kelly Copywriter. And they actually don't realize that we've now got a whole team and we've come a long way since then. Um, I think it's good having a bit of both, but especially with things such as LinkedIn, you can like leverage the two platforms, get them interacting. One thing I've been really big on is um, as we brought people into the team, making them a big part of our, our social and making them and sending them networking and making people realize that we're part of a bigger team. But I think especially if you built it from freelance, which a lot of people in the room here today will be doing, People have bought into you and what you're doing. So if you suddenly just cut that out and all of a sudden you're just a brand that's got no meaning or value and people dissociate with it, you're going to lose that like relevance that people that got you to where you were, where you thought, oh, I am going to set up a brand. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. And how do you balance that? Like you personally, like if you found somebody and you've bought in a bit of work, how does it then feel like it must be a temptation to keep your fingers on that pie to keep that person happy or yeah I think it, it is hard especially when you start you know you bring on a client you've won the work because they thought I want to work with this person and then you go oh by the way here's some so-and-so has just written your work or someone's cc'd into an email like who's that I think the key thing is communication with your clients and giving them the trust that you're bringing someone on that's going to do a better job like I bring someone on and like for example our social media manager and um, I'll say look um, I can talk to you about this, but I'm going to bring Helen in on it and get her thoughts and get her to feedback to you because she's the expert. And, and actually, as soon as I say that, they may think, oh, I sh I'm just talking to the director. She's not the person that knows all the stuff about social. And so it's moving that conversation that people understand why you're not the person doing the work. And also, clients come to know, I'm too busy to do to write their content. If they want a good job, they want someone who sat there in the office just spending the time on the content, not me flying between emails and calls and meetings. And, um, when people get to understand that and you communicate it well and you 
on you onboard people, you know, introduce them, bring them into a meeting or a call, then I think that the the, the pushback you get is is you know it's not really as much of a problem because people go okay that's what to expect. Which makes me think: Do you miss doing the actual work, Ella? Like, are you are you are, as in the copywriting of it is what you started doing? Do you know what? No, <laughs> but I'm very I'm very very fortunate, and not everybody has this experience. I've had a few friends that have tried to scale up and then actually gone back and, and just gone back to being freelance because they didn't enjoy that journey. But I think you've got to find. Like when, when you go freelance, your why is that you've got a passion and you want to do that passion. So for me, it was like, my why was I, want, I love writing, I want to get out of bed every morning and write all day. Luckily, when I found the other sides of business, my why became my team, like getting up to bringing business that's going to support the team and build a team that I can be proud of and a brand. And that is like making you content now my baby and like looking after that baby is my reason for being, if you like. But, you know, if you don't have that love for what you build and the team that you build, well, you're just going to miss the stuff where you were doing when you were one man or woman band. Mm. So I think it's really important that you find a new why when you make that evolution. Nice. Um, so networking was big for you, clearly. Are you much of a networker, Ian? Um, yeah, I do a lot of networking. Um, another thing that I, I forgot to mention since our last podcast is actually a, a Facebook community that I've been um, building uh, to network with other graphic designers. Um, because like I said, with, with my podcast and other content I create, creating, I'm able to get like affiliate income and sponsorship as well. So um, yeah, I, I focus a lot on uh, Facebook group, bringing in people, and uh, since starting that, it's about a year and a half ago, it's not that long ago, that's got around 6,000 and something active members, um, and I do think it is the best community for logo design, so that's that's growing a lot. In, in terms of networking for um, clients, um, which is my other income, um, I go to quite a few meetup events, you know, talk to different people. Where I met you last time at the Youthpreneur Summit, that's a, a really good event for me where you can meet other entre entrepreneurs. And uh, again, it's, it's a great place to go because you can learn and you can you can get a lot out of the event personally. But it's also fantastic to meet other entrepreneurs to um, bring in clients. Um, I don't do too much of the actual uh, networking with potential clients just because my website currently ranks really well on Google. I get about 10 leads a day and I can only take on like one project a week. <laughs> uh, so I, I'm quite fortunate that I can pick and choose who I want to work with. Did you, I mean obviously you've built up a lot of collateral with your podcast and, and Twitter and stuff, yeah. but did you consciously build your website to rank? Like, Kelly mentioned like going after SEO, did you? Yeah, so um, at the web agency that I've been working at for the last 10 years, for quite some time I was in the same room as the SEO team. So even though I don't know as much as them, I picked up a lot along the way and I've had to do a lot of the marketing material for it. So I've become quite savvy from an SEO perspective. So from day one of creating my website, I, I wanted logo in, in, the, in the, the name and that's actually the reason why I came to Logo Geek in the end, because it was the only one that was actually available. <laughs> I didn't actively search for that, that thing. Um, but yeah, in terms of like creating content, I, I try to create one post um, a month, and I try to make it quite keyword rich and 
you know, several thousand words and they do tend to rank really well on Google and, and for me Google is where I get all of my clients from, most of my clients from at the moment. So yeah, I really push content creation and um, social media marketing to also drive the SEA. Like SEA for me as a freelancer is probably the most important thing I do. Wow. That's saying something considering how big your social presence is and the podcast. Social has an impact on SEO. Like one one of the big things with SEO is it's not just about creating content. Like a lot of people just think that you just write and post it online. It's also getting backlinks, authoritative black backlinks. And by posting regularly on social media, so Twitter and, and the same for my Facebook group, you build up um, authority around that topic and you get invited to things that are impossible any other way. So if you get invited to be on a jury, I, there might be other ways of doing it, but for me, being kind of seen as an influencer around LEGO design, I get invited to be on juries around LEGO design, and they tend to create a little profile page and put a link. And the same with when, when, when I interview someone that's authoritative, they tend to link on their website and send it back, and backlinking is a really good way of doing it. And, and for me, my social media, even though I don't do it in a way to get clients, building authority and trust, you get opportunities. I mean, like this, I would be here if it wasn't my social media. So every little opportunity, whether it's a pop, you know, going on as a guest on a podcast, they tend to do show notes and they give you a link. And you just keep doing this. You build up a load of authority online and you start ranking for the keywords that you want to. Both of you trade as company names. So Ian is Logo Geek, but you still put your own personality out, do you as well? I actually want to do it a little bit more because um, I am a big geek. I'm really into things like Star Wars and I'm, my office is full of nerdy stuff. So I am I self, self-proclaimed geek and I think that works for me. So. Uh, my website up until now has always been quite, I, I try to keep it very corporate because my clients are corporate, but I would like to go a little bit geeky with the whole brand because I think it works with it. So yeah, my personality is kind of quite embedded in it, like the website's got photos on it. Um, my podcast has obviously got my own voice in it and like so, some of my recent guests, like growing up I was a big fan of Arkham animations. So I've got the creative director from Marvel Animation from the show, so we can talk about that. Um, again, like I said, big Star Wars and Marvel fans, so the uh, latest episode is actually with a guy who's worked for Star Wars and Marvel and Disney. I just speak <laughs> to people I want to, it's brilliant. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. And, but all of it is also your, your reputation builds off of their reputation as well. You said you get 10, was it 10 a day? 10 leads a day? Yeah, on average it's 10 leads a day. Um, okay, how do you deal with that? Is that, is that actually a nightmare? It's, it's a lot of work and I can't actually handle that many emails. So I, one, one of the main things I do is um, it's easy to see which ones are poor quality. Because um, obviously 10, 10 leads doesn't necessarily mean 10 good leads. Some of them, if they just put, I want a logo, how much does a logo cost? They're probably <laughs> not the best client. But there might be one in 10 or two in 10 that are 
nice explanations, you know, they probably introduce themselves, some of them put a budget in there. If they put a budget in there and it's a high budget, they're obviously a good one to respond to. Um, but generally, if I feel like it, they're probably not going to go ahead, I just, I've got template emails and it's pretty much copy-paste. And I slightly modify the, the first sentence of that email. I don't call them. If it's a really good one, I will customize that email and typically follow up with a telephone call. Um, I've had people, I've, I, I hired someone for a while to do my emails for me, and that was great because I was able to get a few more projects, but I worked it out in the end that for the extra project I was getting in, I probably could have just done it myself. So now I just focus on that myself, and it's just a case of every evening just checking, going through, and like I said, if it's, if it's a really good one, I'll spend time to write a custom email, but if it's a pretty poor one, it's just bog-standard template emails sent, done, and if they go ahead, great, but if they don't, it doesn't really matter. Kelly, what's been, would you say, the biggest challenge over the past few years as you've grown? Oh, that's an interesting one. Um, I, think, I think, inevitably, scaling stuff um, means that you have to delegate and you have to bring on different personalities and realise that you can't just make carbon copies of yourself, uh, which I think is kind of the ideal when you, you start uh, moving from being freelance to having other people working with you. You think, oh, well, I can just train them to do it like I do it, but even with the best in the world, like some of my best employees, they do things differently for me. And actually, you come to learn that, that can often be a good thing and you can play off your differences and they might come up with ideas that you're like, oh, I'd never have thought of that, or I'd never have had the time to do that. Uh, but I suppose the key thing is, and the challenging thing is, is making sure that you're, you're not moving away from your ultimate vision and your own standards and what it is that made you special in the first place, but that you're incorporating people into that and you're sort of playing, I mean, we're now, like for example, with writers, you have so many different types of writers. We have someone that's really creative on the team, we have someone that's very corporate, and we're now in the fortunate position where we can kind of tailor projects, a bit like what Rob was saying earlier, to, to the strengths of the team. But when it was just myself and Josh, it was kind of like, well, sorry, you need to write this. Um, and that was challenging at first, but I think you almost, it gets easier in that regard, having over time, the more people you have on board, the more you can delegate work based on people's strengths. But initially there is that pain point of going, well, I can't do it and you're going to have to do it. And you know, this is how I want it done. But when you delegate, it, it, it's harder to keep that control because ultimately, you know, you, you have to trust people. And you mentioned having like a diverse range, a hybrid model of like bringing leads in. Do you have a diverse range of services like has that changed over time yeah so when uh, when I started out it was basically client wanted a brief doing they sent me the brief I wrote the brief sent it back done invoice sorted um, over time I sort of built that to try and build up a bit more of a retained income so bring on clients and send them a list of blog titles they sent blog titles and sent the blogs signed off done um, since then we've become a lot more mature as a business uh, we now kind of work to uh, build out strategies so our kind of model really is there's three pillars there's a content strategy which is kind of a service in itself there's the content creation and then there's the content distribution which is kind of where the social media ads things emails things like that come in um, and I think one of the key things is evolving from being freelance is, is not just charging either by your time but also um, necessarily deliverables 
because say as a good example of this like we've often charged and we're still guilty occasionally doing this of just charging on the outcome i.e four blogs a month right but you could do a three-month strategy for four blogs a month or six-month strategy or 12-month strategy and then they pull the rug and you spend all this time on building a really good well-thought-out strategy and they either bring it in-house or they just say they're not going to do it and you've, you've sunk all that time into something that's really valuable for a business but you've only charged on what the final outcome is once it's delivered and signed off. Um, and I think that's one of the kind of things that we've realised more recently is actually you've got to value your expertise and what goes into that and try and model it. Not so that you get into a point where you're, you know, clients are seeing this as stage one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and then the final deliverable is write a piece of content and they're like, well, what am I paying for here? You know what I mean? But, um, but making it more sophisticated so that if a client does turn around and say, oh, we're pulling you know, we're pulling your services, you're not like, oh, well, I've not done that final 10% because you've pulled it as a final hurdle and I'm not going to get paid anything. Um, and it's having that security and the confidence in yourself as, as a consultant as much as anything else. And you said that like, you like waking up and looking after your team, but I'm sitting there wondering, like, who, who's like looking over you? Like, because suddenly you've got the weight of all of these people, not all of the people in front of us here <laughs> at WeWork, but all of the people in your team, in your office, and even the office itself, all is kind of like sit, sitting on you. So like, do you have like a coach or a mentor or, or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, it, it is hard and I think a lot of businesses, and this is what you don't perhaps get when you're a freelancer, a lot of businesses that people set up from the start, they'll have a co-founder. But if you come from freelance routes, you typically will just do it yourself and you'll grow it yourself and everyone you bring on might just be collaborating with you. But um, And I think it's hard, it is hard to find that support network because you can't, you can't put that stress on your staff. Like, you know, you can be open with them. My staff are kind of my mates as well, but you can't really give them the full scope of what you're, what's keeping you up at night. Um, and what I found is just having a, like a peer network as much as anything else of people who are in the same boat either when I was freelance or the freelancers now maybe more people that have got a team and a similar stage of business where you can go out for dinner and it's not like teacher syndrome where you're sat there talking about work all like for two hours and everyone else is really bored um, but actually when you go out with people that are in the same boat and that are also running a business or they're also freelance like you, none of you will think anything of it if you sit there for an hour and a half and talk about a business problem um, and I think it's important that you find those people where you can just fully let off steam and help each other solve challenges and and ultimately perhaps at some point find a mentor you know if that's that's not working for you getting someone where you've got that time blocked out like freelance therapy I suppose um, and moan about it for an hour and then come back and feel like oh, you've kind of let off that steam because it is important for you know mental health and and ultimately you know making sure that you wake up and you feel energized yeah so maybe you wouldn't do you think you could have grown the company the way you have without that support no 100% not and one thing I would say in building that support network is try and surround yourself with people that are a little bit further on in the journey because having people that are just that little, I always had it, um, one of my best friends was, was like sort of two years ahead of me, so he had his fifth birthday when I had my third birthday, and seeing that he was always just that little bit further ahead, it just made me think bigger and he could talk about, you know, I'd see the problems he was having, so then when I came up with that problem, I was like, ah, I know how to do this because I've seen my friend work through it. And um, I, think, I think it's important, like, finding people that you look up to but that aren't sort of out of reach where you're like, oh, well, I can't, they're not really a role model that I can, 
that you know they're a bit, it's a bit too much of a leap. So um, yeah, sort of finding mini role models no. is good. Uh, oh, mini roles as well. You've got me thinking now as well. Talking about fifth birthday parties. Um, and Ian, I'm distracted by chocolate confectionery, but just the same question to you, really. Like, like who do you have? Yeah, so basically uh, the Facebook group that I created, uh, because it's graphic designers, when I get stuck, I can actually reach out to them, which is great. Uh, but one of the byproducts of creating that group there's actually been a smaller group created of about 10 people and we've all become very good friends and uh, I love Facebook as a platform because you can do video, you can post, you can pretty much do anything. It's a really easy way to keep in touch with people. So there's a, a small group of 10 of us that have created that group and anytime we get stuck, there's uh, 10 of us all at different levels of our career and you can pretty much just reach out to them and because it's so small, you feel a sense of commitment to respond to those people. So I know someone started a video thing, when he posted a video, it's like, oh, I need to do a video now. So we all did a video. Um, but that's been a really good uh, way to just have a group of people to speak to. Um, another thing that started um, since the evening at Summit with uh, Steve's partner as well, we actually created a mastermind group. So. Basically, at events like this, if you find a few people that you're doing that, that you're in a similar position to, share details and just meet up on a call like every two months and talk about your problems. You know, if 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 each of you spend about 10, 15 minutes just talking about a problem that you're currently facing, that can be a really good way to you know, solving the problems and working out a plan to the next thing and it gives you some accountability too. So for me that's been really useful and I know that I need to try and get more out of that because it's definitely a fantastic way of, of learning. Um, and um, yeah, from financially I'm, I'm quite comfortable because I do have a part-time job. It's nice to have that guaranteed income but in terms of moments when I get stressed or whatever, you know, my partner's really good at making sure that I don't go too crazy when, uh, when it gets to you know, I can, you can get to points when sometimes you're just too busy and it's really hard and, and you're trying to get everything done and uh, my partner really supports me in terms of just making sure that I have time, like she doesn't complain or anything when I need to work in the evening sometimes which I have to. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it for me. Nice. And Kelly, just very quickly, do you feel like you've got work-life balance? Sort of like. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I wouldn't go as far as balance. My problem is that I like to burn the candle at both ends and pl play hard as, as well as work hard. But I think what I try, what I'm trying to do at the moment, um, and I found really useful, is having like a every quarter have like a two week detox where I'm trying to like use my phone less, go out less, sort of put my like focus into getting healthy and fit and active and and having that R and R time. Because I think the thing is, one thing, I don't know if anyone else finds this, but I find like, comes Friday, all I want to do is just get as drunk as I can. I forget all about all the week and all the stress. And then I wake up on Saturday and then I've got the dreads and then it's a Sunday and then you're like, oh, I should probably do some, some accounts. And then and it's Monday and you're just in like this cycle. And I think it's really important that you have R&R time as well as like, you know, making sure that, you know, you're working hard to earn whatever it is that you like to do that's sort of the fun stuff as well. Because, you know, even though it's good to have that time to let off steam, it's got to also be a case of coming down from all the stress and, and keeping your, um, keeping yourself, your well-being first.
So. Awesome. Guys, thank you so much for, uh, for sharing so good. Was there any particular question where you've been sitting there in the audience here this evening, other than is the beer still on? Um, was there any? Yes. I'd like to know more about how the podcast came about. Was it because you had all those numbers that sponsored it? So, Ian, how did your podcast come about? And was it driven by sponsorship? Well, it's been a very gradual thing um, because I was diagnosed with social anxiety about five years ago. And there's a type of therapy called uh, cognitive behavioral therapy where you basically do the things that you're scared of, like this. Um, and that by doing these things, it can help you overcome that. So, for me, um, one of my fears is doing what I'm doing now. And um, a, a really nice entry into that was podcasting, basically putting on a microphone and pressing record. It was the same feeling as talking to a large group of people. So, um, yeah, so I started doing that originally just, just myself, just trying it out. Those, those don't exist online anymore because they're not that great. Um, I left that for quite some time, but I had all the equipment still and um, it was basically, I was talking to a friend online at the time and he found out that Logo Geek was a side gig and that his thing was a side gig too and he was very surprised because um, his thing was really big online, uh, I've been aware of it for quite some time and he was aware of what I'm doing as well and um, he wanted to start a podcast called Side Gig so he pulled together three people and um, we did one season at, at that time uh, where we just basically come up with a topic and then did 10 episodes. And he told me it, doesn't, it didn't make much money, but it split between us. And then I found out for 10 episodes it was five grand. I thought, that's not a little bit of money, that's, that sounds quite good since we were just it was just three of us just talking. We didn't plan it, we just came up with a topic and sat down for an hour. So the only thing that needed doing was planning that and actually editing it. And that's like $500 an episode. So um, we use FreshBooks for that and FreshBooks in the past have reached out and I ignored it. So I thought I'm going to do a podcast and I pitched the idea to them, never done anything before. And um, they agreed to sponsor it. So at that time I thought I'll just do one season, see how it goes. Um, and now I'm on like episode number 34. And I keep getting sponsored each time. Five like fresh books each time. And when when they when you were discussing that with them, were they looking at the did you already have your Facebook community? Did you have um, I, I didn't have the Facebook community, but why what I basically showed them was stats of everything that I have. So I, I didn't just go to them like, I'm doing a podcast, can you sponsor it? I, I went there and said, I have X number of Twitter followers, I have this amount of traffic to my website, this number of Facebook followers, all this. I, I gave them a whole load of stats that I could um, go along with. I think at that time we also had an email list of like 15,000, something like that. And um, that's what they based it on because in terms of the sponsorship, it's not just mentioning them on the podcast, it's also mentioning them in show notes and in email marketing as well. So that's, that's pretty much what they're paying for. It's not just me mentioning them on the podcast, but that's, that's what's worked. It's quite amazing. We've probably got time for like one more question. 
Yeah, okay. Any... Yes. Just when you talk about your Facebook group, I've just been learning recently about how even in Facebook groups, they might only see like 1% of what you're doing. Um, and I just wondered how, you said it's going really well, you've got like 6,000 yeah. followers. How is that interaction? They, they see more if they interact, I think, right. and they're more connected. So when, when people first come into the group, one of the things that you can do is um, there's like a panel on the right hand side where it will show you the number of people that have joined in that week and you can do like an automated post where it will list all the names. So you can give a shout out to them, get them to introduce themselves and basically just keep encouraging engagement. So I do these like weekly topics, so I might ask a question and the more that people engage with it, the more they see. Um, I've also specifically asked people to change the alerts because most people will just see highlights. As default is that as highlights, but you can change that. You can ask people to change it to see everything, which some people will. Um, but yeah, in, within Facebook groups, you can see all of the engagement. So if, if it's dropping for whatever reason, just throw out a controversial topic and get people talking. The more that people talk in the group, the more that they see. That's pretty much it. And what there was there? Did is it a sneaky one? Go on then, because if that beer goes off, Natalie, you're getting mobbed and taking us all to the bar. When you ship out, when you start to first ship out the the, the extra projects, how do you then? So say someone comes to you and wants you to do something, but you need somebody else to do it with you. Um, so that project has become something that you can't quite do on your own. But the person that wants you to do it. Um, Kind of want you to manage it. So I suppose you're in essence now becoming project manager. Yeah. It's that decision and learning to become a project manager. Yeah, and I think I think the key thing with project management is um, firstly managing expectations, and secondly making sure that anybody, if you're thinking of it as a, a chain up to the delivering it to the client, making sure that you're certain about what can be delivered before you tell that to the client. I mean, we get that now with, we get a lot of agencies that don't do content that come to us for that. And we'll say to them, come to us at the point that you're scoping it out. We can give you the cost, we'll give you the time scales, then you can quote it rather than quoting for this, you need it delivered by that date. And then you come to us at the 11th hour going, oh, by the way, can you do this for this price? And we'll be like, no. Uh, do you know what I mean? So it, uh, what I'd always say is if you're gonna bring other people in, um, firstly, if you can be transparent with the client, unless it's something so small that there's not really any point, and then go to the freelancer and say, look, I'm pitching for this, this is what it's looking like, this is roughly, this is all the information I have, can you let me know firstly if you're available, secondly, you know, what you'd need from me, um, and then what you think, you know, if, if it's an estimate or if they can give you hard costs and timescales so that you can then go, right, okay, the cost is this, so I'm going to charge, you know, a bit of cushion in case something pops up I've not heard about. The timescale is this, so let me add a few days onto that so if there's any hold-ups at their end. And make sure you've built that security blanket as much as anything for time, because if a freelancer delivers something late and you promise it that day, that, that's a problem too. Um, so yeah, make sure you're comfortable in the suppliers you're working with and then make the promises to the client based on that. And if you can and if it's appropriate, get them knowing that you know there's somebody else and so that ultimately the book even though it rests with you you know they know that they're dealing with somebody else as well because uh, the worst ultimately will fall on your reputation if it if it goes wrong and you've not done that so yeah brilliant thank you so much great answers um 
Uh, by the way, don't forget, you can go back to beingfreelance.com or wherever you get your podcast. Search for Being Freelance. You can listen to Kelly's episode from 2016, Ian's episode from 2015. We always finish each episode with two truths and a lie game, which we're not doing tonight because you can hear their episodes. So go back and see if they're good liars uh, and also see how they got started being uh, freelance. But yes, if we can, please, let's put our hands together for Ian and Kelly. Thank you so much. And that's it for our very special Being Freelance Live with Ipsy in Manchester. Thank you. Bye.